The Hornets get blown out at home. We'll talk about what Steve Clifford had to say yesterday. And Doug has a rant about the Bally broadcast. That's all today on the Locked On Hornets podcast. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast. Your team every day. In a minute, cuz we live. We live. It's Locked on Hornets. Thanks for making us your first listen every day. We're free and available anywhere you get your podcast. That includes YouTube. I'm Walker Mail. You can find me on WFNZ 92.7 FM here in Charlotte from 12 to 3 p.m. I'm on Twitter at Walker Mail. And that's Doug Branson if you're watching on YouTube. He's the man that likes to stand up every now and again. And you can find a sub stack every Hornets box score on every Hornets box score. Dot com. Doug, it's unfortunate at this point now. Like we're we're starting to get we're we're three games away from the halfway point in the season. The Charlotte Hornets are dead last in the Eastern Conference. They're they're tied with Detroit. They're listed below them right now, especially after that loss that they suffered earlier, which felt like the rock bottom moment. The loss against a team like Detroit, who's also very young, who also is at the bottom of the standings and you had that loss in overtime that was when Lamelo even came back so you didn't have the excuse that they didn't have their franchise star um maybe a new low moment is John ja Morant <laughs> deciding <laughs> to just camp in the backcourt with the basketball untouched and because the backcourt count doesn't start until a player touches the basketball the basketball, I, I didn't count the seconds actually that Ja was camping in the backcourt. It was about man, 25. It was, it was yeah. 25. I mean, it was a whole shot clock violation. It was a possession. Worth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And nobody goes up until finally Terry Rozier forces him to pick up the basketball and Ja Morant does it. We'll do the whole fair or foul thing later on with what Ja Morant did in the backcourt last night. But this is a bad one. You got blown out by a really good Memphis team, but you got absolutely destroyed. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it all came down to the fact that they are bigger and stronger underneath. They were dominating the paint, especially in the first quarter. I think you can point to the 12-2 run at the end of the first quarter when they broke the lineup, and uh, it was Rozier and the bench for a few minutes, and then it went to McDaniels and the bench, which McDaniels is technically a starter, but that's really essentially a full bench lineup. And Memphis left John Morant on the floor, and John Morant took advantage of that bench lineup. Uh, Honestly, I think benching LaMelo in that first quarter was a mistake if you wanted to keep competing in that game, uh, to to not have LaMelo on the floor to help the offense. Because, you know, at the end of that first quarter, the offense struggled to finish at the rim. They were missing layups, and then Memphis was taking those layups and getting out in a transition, and the Hornets were not getting back effectively enough. And, and then, you know, they, they took that and then in the second quarter uh, basically kept on attacking in transition. When the Hornets don't defend in transition, they don't win basketball games. I mean, the past three games, Memphis, Lakers, Nets, uh, all of those games, you saw all three of those teams decide, all right, we're going to run a ton on the Hornets, and they were effective at doing so. When the Hornets do defend in transition like they did against OKC – uh, they almost, you know, the 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 uh, five point loss to Golden State where they were competing. They also prevented Golden State from getting out into transition. And then the win against the Lakers back in December. Uh, you know, those three recent uh, examples of when they defend in transition, when they prevent the other team from getting into transition by making baskets, they can actually compete and win in these games. But against a team like Memphis, 
I mean, Walker, that might be the toughest matchup for the Hornets just in terms of their size and strength that they could face in the NBA. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, and we've always gone to the bigger centers that you have, whether it be Jokic, Embiid, but those are always going to be the hard matchups for everyone because they're legitimate MVP candidates. But then when you get to a tier below that, or a couple tiers below that, right? I mean, I'm not going to pretend Steven Adams is nearly as good as those players, but Steven Adams is extremely physical. We know how strong he is. Um, He's been he, – no, he has legitimately yeah. been the best rebounder in the league this season, especially on the offensive right. boards. Uh, yeah, devastating. So so Steven Adams, a Jonas Valanciunas destroys the Charlotte Hornets. When you get to physical centers like that that are beefy, even a Nurkic, right, who wasn't even – I mean, he was physical against Mark Williams in that debut when they played Portland, but Nurkic also was able to take advantage of that and have a career shooting night. It just doesn't matter. They're awful matchups, but then this team is built off of strength. Dylan Brooks, I know you tweeted about him last night. Dylan Oof. Brooks is real physical. He's nasty. Desmond Bain, he's got biceps on biceps. And when Steve Clifford is preaching physicality all year long, you're you're looking at it when you watch Memphis and then you get blown out by 20 points and it's not really even close after the first quarter. You know, during Clifford's first run in Charlotte, they had a ton of finesse players. And it, it felt like the tide was turning a little bit after Clifford left and they started going after like super athletic, lengthy guys. And they certainly have accomplished that. The Hornets have a ton of length and wingspan, uh, but but they really are lacking in in that just, you know, beefaroni mm-hmm. I mean, department. They just don't have those beefy boys that you need to compete with a physical team uh, like Memphis. And you saw it. I mean, Jaron Jackson Jr., uh, was disrupting what Mark Williams wanted to do, and, and then too, what a hell uh, yeah, of a I mean, player man. By the way, just you know, the the fact Jaron Jad, the, the block numbers are stupid. I, I just kind of, I didn't mean to interrupt, but his, but his blocking numbers are crazy, Doug. I, I, I never interrupt you, so no, it's, it's true. You're right, but the, but the Jaron Jackson blocking numbers, where he's just in a completely different stratosphere compared to, I don't know, everybody that's ever played in the NBA when it comes to blocking percentage. I mean, we're, we're talking Minute Bowl, and then we're talking Jaron Jackson somewhere in a neighborhood above him. And the way that he was contesting Mark Williams' shot, who is 7'1 and 9'9 standing reach, which I've referenced a million times. Anyway, it's just Jaron Jackson. Shout out to Park Tudor in Indianapolis High School, by the way. But Jaron Jackson, just crazy. Well, look, th- this was a Hornets team, right, that came into this game with more injuries. Kelly Oubre out for multiple weeks now with, uh, with wrist surgery, and then Gordon Hayward out uh, with a hamstring issue. And so uh, they're a team I feel like that on a morale spectrum are pretty low. And and I think the Grizzlies sensed that and they sensed an opportunity to come in. Hey, if we can lay the wood really early, this is a team that's going to lay down. And and I think that's what you you saw, uh, which is they, they got physical with them early. And then mentally you started to see it unravel. There were multiple technicals in this game, delay of game violate. That was the funny thing after the, the uh, John Morant issue was that the Hornets then, <laughs> right after that, got called for a delay of game violation for throwing the ball uh, away. And then Jalen would do it again later in the game and get a technical free and, and give the Grizzlies a technical free throw, giving them free points in this game. They were frustrated with the referees. I mean, the, the free throw advantage was 28 attempts to eight attempts in the first half. Uh, look, this Hornets team fouls too much. So 28 is not like crazy surprising when you consider the personnel that they were playing against. Mm-hmm. But eight free throw attempts is a little ridiculous. I mean, you know, I think the Hornets, 
decision making at the rim certainly an issue, but you know I, I thought the whistle was a little absurd in the first half. It, it, it evened out a little bit in the second half, but the frustration, the the, mm-hmm. the mental, you know, I think the mentality of the team started to break down really in the second third quarter. And you and you want to see it Shaq like, where if you get angry, then you start to play better. You know, a lot of times players play worse, but Shaq is one of the more famous guys for saying, "Don't don't make him angry, and he'll just destroy you." There's not other Shaq bodies out there on the court. Um, but I don't know if you know, I don't know if you see this too, talking about some of the emotion from players, we don't have emotional players on the court. And, and I think that's true of LaMelo, you know, LaMelo is a guy that is, is awesome to watch and has a fun personality off of the court. And he plays hard, the the follow your shot stuff that I, that's part of the game that I've loved from LaMelo for so often. I don't see a ton of, you see him having fun playing the game. It's some, sometimes you see him arguing with the ref, but just a couple of players that are surprising for me to see it based off of interviewing them and just how their personalities are. You'll get that from Jalen McDaniels. And, and I think you actually see him mix it up with players like Mo Wagner will bring it out of anybody as we've just seen, but Jalen will have some individual battles with some guys every now and then we're seeing that from Mark Williams. We saw that last night from some foul calls where Mark Williams is getting the, the, like he's just was kind of besides himself. It now he's not, he's not strong enough to go at a fight with some of these guys right now. But yeah, I think to your point, you don't have a lot of physicality. You don't have a lot of emotion in, in some of these players. I don't know if you see it that way. Well, intensity, you know, I, yeah, I think there, there was a level of intensity from Bain and Brooks, especially. I mean, when Brooks stares you down uh, and he can do that because they're hitting shots, you know, but I'm not going to lay, I'm not going to lay a ton of this loss on LaMelo's shoulders, honestly. I mean, he had, 23 and 12 inefficient shooting night but at the same time like who what's his supporting cast doing you know I mean so many of these plays you know LaMelo was setting up PJ was one of the few guys that was knocking down shots outside uh, other than LaMelo you know him and Terry it was obvious at the beginning of the game when the starters were on the floor that they wanted to get LaMelo and Terry going early because the past couple of games they have had terrible first halves and so they got that and then when they broke the lineup and you put LaMelo on ice while John Morant's out there you know, I think that was a mistake. Uh, but then once they got back out onto the floor, you know, all of all of LaMelo's supporting cast seemed to fall away. And, and, and you know, he could have had – you know, he should have had 15, 20 assists in this game as much as he was passing the basketball and how well he was passing the basketball. These guys just aren't knocking down shots. So, you know, 23 points, 12 assists, that should be enough to get it done, you know, if, if some of these guys start knocking down shots. But they're not. I mean, you know, Ter- Terry uh, faded away after that good start to the first quarter. And, you know, a, a lot of the bench players are missing as well. Cody Martin returned. We can talk about that. Uh, but he, it's mm-hmm. going to take a little bit for his offense to come back. DSJ's offense hasn't come back. It's just tough to watch. Yeah, it was tough to watch. All right. Well, we'll talk a little bit more about it coming up next on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. Doug mentioned uh, Cody Martin's return. We'll get to that and discuss how he looked in this game. We'll get to John Morant just not picking up the ball for 25 seconds. We'll discuss whether that should anger you or not. And uh, we'll continue to give you the updates on Mark Williams, the first round pick, starting to play a little bit more in the rotation. Kelly Oubre, Gordon Hayward, how much they missed those guys. This episode is brought to you by Bet Online. And if you're looking, oh, excuse me, it's built, it's brought to you by Built Bar, not Bet Online this time, but brought to you by Built Bar. <laughs> Lots of bees in here. Brought to you, Built Bar, Bet Online, so many different bees. Looking for a delicious treat? Don't want to uh, go with all of the fat and the calories? Then you got to try a Built Bar. They got you through the holidays. 
They're extremely tasty because what's crazy about them is not only are they healthy for you, they're covered in 100% real chocolate. That's right real chocolate and they come in unbelievable flavors churro peanut butter brownie the coconut almond flavor a lot of the coconut flavors are extremely good from built bar i'm not sure how they do it but what you can do is you can go to built.com right now and start ordering your built bars or now you can even get them at your local walmart or sam's club so you can buy them in bulk or you can go to walmart and get built bars as well if you don't want to online shop for them that's right head to your nearest walmart today Walk to the pharmacy section and grab yourself a box of Built Bars, and you can pick up a four-bar box of cookies and cream, double chocolate, even coconut puffs. If you're close to a Sam's Club, too, run in and grab a 13-13-bar box with their uh, hit flavors, brownie batter, churro. There's so many different ones to choose from, and you can thank me later. More to come on Locked on Hornets. Is Locked on Hornets. I know a lot about the weight room. I know a lot, a ton, ton about the weight. I, I, I don't, I don't lift a lot of weights, uh, but I do kind of stand around the weight room. I sort of, I kind of. Are you using that? Are you, you're good. Okay, good. Okay, good. Yeah. And you know, no, I stand yeah. around the weight room a lot. Do you have the high socks and the headband on with your hair tied back? Oh yeah, big like white tube socks for sure. Yeah, yeah. headband. Yeah, I've got it all. I've got yeah, big head, these big head, these headphones right here that you see me wearing on YouTube right now. I take these into the gym. <laughs> so I just, you know, it's about looking professional. You got to look the part, right? Dress for the job that you want. That's how I feel about how I am in the weight room. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. So, Doug, defense was a problem in this game. Offense was a problem. There were quite a few to choose from here as they lose to the Grizzlies, 131 to 107. You didn't have Gordon Hayward, and you didn't have Kelly Oubre. You're talking about a slim margin for error when you lose two guys that are a big part of your offense and they're out of the rotation then you would imagine it would be hard to score anything more than 107, especially against a team like the Memphis Grizzlies that has some excellent defenders, especially Jaron Jackson kind of leading the way there. How much do you think they missed Gordon Hayward and Kelly Oubre last night? Yeah, I mean, I think they missed him a ton. Uh, Gordon Hayward, I thought they missed uh, his playmaking ability and ability to hit mid-range shots. Uh, you know, the look, Teams understand that are playing the Hornets. They understand that if you camp in the paint, you gener- if you force them to shoot, you're generally going to have a good time on the defensive end of the floor. So having guys that can make mid-range jump shots actually a benefit to the Hornets offense. Kelly and Gordon have done that this season. They've struggled with their outside shot. They've struggled with a three-pointer. Uh, but Ke- and Kelly's ability to get to the rim, they could have certainly used that because you know again in that first quarter. When they went to the bench, they were just getting dominated in the paint and missing layups that led to transition opportunities for Memphis that they took advantage of. So, yeah, totally. And Kelly's deflections, I think they could have used those as well, disrupting what Memphis wanted to do. That's the other observation I had about Memphis defensively, though, is like they anticipated everything that the Hornets did. They were disrupting so much of what they want. Look, right I mean, look at how many crazy sloppy passes there were. It wasn't that the Hornets were were being undisciplined. They were at times during this game, but early in the game, it was that Memphis knew exactly what the Hornets were going to do and knew how to and knew how to take it away. And you know, so many of those turnovers were based on that. It's like you're a predictable offense. We know what you're going to do, and we're going to stop it. Well, and what's weird though too is that. 
you you had a pick and roll to start the game with PJ Washington and LaMelo Ball and LaMelo set the screen right off the bat. Eric Collins was surprised to see that. Oh, LaMelo setting the screen. And the problem was, I think it was the number one and number two possessions of this game. PJ Washington just kind of gets lost in the sauce when he puts the basketball on the floor just wasn't comfortable dribbling into the teeth of the Grizzlies defense. And then either, I don't know if it led to turnovers. I know it led to, yeah, the second possession, LaMelo bailed him out by taking a three-point shot, but that basket, Mm -hmm. I mean, it was not perfectly executed. That possession was all sorts of wonky when PJ drove into the paint, you know, holds onto the basketball, trying not to turn it over, just kind of throws it up there. And then LaMelo bails him out. Um, And so it, it wasn't good offense right from the start. And if you look at the rotation, this has been a team, we've talked about this quite a bit, Steve Clifford has not had all of his players healthy that he's wanted to at any given point in the season. With injuries being a problem for every single franchise, every single year, it's a little bit different when a coach doesn't have any part of his rotation that he wants, you know, talking about just, all right, can I get a game where my top eight guys are all healthy? You just you've not had that not one time. And yeah. what makes it specifically frustrating is when one guy comes back, it it's comically comically happening to where another guy will go to the bench as soon as someone returns. And Cody Martin, Dennis Smith Jr., and Mark Williams are the three players off of the bench. That's your eight-man rotation when you're talking about the starters with JT Thor sprinkled in there nine minutes and played, you know, in, in the meat of this game as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, you got Cody Martin back. That's going to help with Kelly Oubre and Gordon Hayward, Cody Martin's stat line, by the way, 21 minutes. So he'll play a decent amount when you compare him to the other guys off of the bench and Mark and, and DSJ four points, two of seven, didn't have his first bucket, I believe until the second half when he had a dunk in transition, couple of assists four rebounds, one turnover. Um, you know, it's, it's pretty limited for Cody Martin. What did you think of his return? I thought it was it was a guy, a role player that was not going to have like a giant impact on the game and was coming back after missing 37 games. It's going to take some time for him to get into any kind of groove offensively. You know, no judgment can be made about him until, you know, we see at least 10 games and then we can say, all right, well, his shooting looks like uh, that, that it's not going to come back or it is back. You know, we can talk about that. I mean, defensively, I thought he was fine. Uh, you know, he had a great contest on a on a Brooks three in the pick and roll uh, early in that second quarter. Uh, there were times where I saw him. You know, help side uh, help side defense uh, was was good under the under the rim. Uh, you know, made a few plays there. Uh, but I mean, just kind of, he's not going to be like a, a giant impact player. I think, and and you know, until but it was interesting that that they did play him with the starters instead of Jalen McDaniel late in the game. Which why were the starters out that late in the game? I I don't know. They were down thirty forty. Uh, so you know what? It, it didn't make any sense to me to put the starters out in the fourth quarter. Uh, but they did play Cody along with those starters. So it'll be interesting to see, you know, as he is able to get more minutes. Uh, what what his role is versus what Jalen McDaniel's role is. So Jalen McDaniel's missed four threes. Four four out of the five threes that he took, but was six of eleven, so he hit a ton of twos. Uh, so Jalen played well in this game too. Had that crazy, they called it a steal. I thought it was a block, but he he in transition oh, jumped yeah. up and like scoop scooped a shot out of midair, or scooped an alley oop out of the, out of midair. So you know Jalen's playing well right now. I think it's going to be tough to supplant him in the rotation.
Yeah, how about two blocks and two steals, seven rebounds for Jalen McDaniels? Yeah, I mean, he's he's important to this basketball team. You know, 16 points, 6 of 11 from the field for him, as you mentioned, the four missed three-pointers. Not a strong stat line for Mark Williams, Doug. You know, at the same time, when I, when I watch him play, it just it feels different out there at the center position than it ever has, to be honest with you. I, yeah. I know I, I know Steven Adams. I mean, that's that's a hell of a matchup. It it is, you know, well, it was Jerry really about, it was Jaron Jackson Jr. that because yeah, that, I right. think they, and, and, they they pretty much took Adams off the floor if Mark was on. But yeah, JJJ uh, was LLL for for Mark. It was a tough matchup. And this was the kind of game I was waiting for was like, all right, he, he needs to be tested because so many of these games that we've seen him featured in the the opposing team would either by choice or by necessity go small. I mean that OKC lineup that he dominated for 17 and 13 was was itty bitty teeny weeny. Like I mean that was a that was made for Mark Williams to succeed offensively. This was not and they doubled Mark in the paint. Like they sent a lot of help yeah. to Mark in the paint whenever he would get an offensive rebound. This was a disciplined defensive team that knew how to collapse in when that kind of thing happened and he was missing hook shots and turning the basketball over. Okay, I've got a specific complaint about Mark Williams that, again, is, okay. is based in, hey, he's a rookie, he's learning, he's going to get better. So I don't want people to take this as like, I think Mark is terrible. I think Mark's a, a good player and has the potential to be a great player. Let me just preface that, okay? That's fine. We'll be good cop, bad cop, because I'm going to be good cop here, of course, with, with Marky, with my little Marky Mark. All right, go ahead. Okay, so there were there were two consecutive plays. This happened in the, th- in the second quarter. I've actually linked them on every Hornets box score, so you can kind of take a look at the two plays side by side. But 9.34 to go in the second quarter, uh, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. gets by P.J. Washington on a drive, and it's Mark's responsibility. He's the weak side defender. It's his responsibility to step up and help. But So J.J.J. has a free look at the lane, and Mark steps up, but instead of going straight up and putting body on body, he, like, avoids the contact, sort of jumps out of the way and tries to use that okay. length to come back and hit it on the backboard. The next play, the next opportunity, he does the same thing, except PJ uh, PJ actually defends uh, Jaron Jackson Jr., holds him up a little bit, and then he's able to sort of do that same maneuver, but he gets the block off the backboard. My play. complaint yeah. is, look, you've got to recognize when to go straight up and get and and get a little bit physical and when you know you have that opportunity to sort of get out of the way and make the block without foul i think he's afraid to foul and and yeah. I, I think it's something he has to learn well, no, and no, that's a good point. But I, I wonder how much of that is from Steve Clifford too, who constantly preaches defending without fouling. So one, I, I wonder, I wonder how much of that's coached, especially if you are long enough to get away with it. If you're any of these other players, you're, I mean, you you can't, you don't have the length to possibly get your body out of the way and block shots. I, I wonder how much of that is coached. I wonder how much of that is Mark being pissed at the refs for calling some fouls on him. I mean, he blocked Jaron Jackson's dunk and it wasn't a foul, got all ball. And that was when Mark was frustrated with the officials. And, you know, Mark had that play. I thought that was an awesome contest. And then there was one play where I thought Mark Williams did a good job of, you know, there was a free corner three point shooter and Mark comes off of his guy in the post. And I thought did a really nice job of recognizing I need to get out there. There's going to be an uncontested corner three and really made up a lot of ground. Don't know if that led to the missed corner three, but I just thought that was good recognition for Mark. Yeah. Yeah. No, there, I thought there were a couple of good plays. I mean, the dunk that he had when he, you know, his ability to like pump fake 
underneath and make guys miss is I'm not going to say it's elite, but it's like super, super good. Like I think it can skill. develop into something that's an elite skill for sure. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I thought this was like a super tough matchup for Mark Williams. I think it's one that's going to make him better uh, to me, that blocking issue, I, to, I think I'm speculating here that it's a guy in Mark Williams that was used to in college and, and certainly, you know, before college using that crazy wingspan to recover from any situation and block a ton of shots. And in this league, Jaron Jackson Jr. and a lot of these guards too, a lot of these elite guards that are driving the paint are just too good, too crafty. They know the angles. They, they know exactly what you're going to do. And that's just not good enough. And, and he has to recognize, hey, mm-hmm. when is this situation where I need to go straight up, make some contact, not foul, not go over the top, but go straight up and, and defend a guy like JJJ on the run? And when do I need to, you know, uh, block hunt, essentially? Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk a little bit more. There is one other positive I want to get to coming up next on the Locked On Hornets podcast. Don't go to sleep on the Hornets just yet. I want to talk about a special feat that LaMelo Ball reached last night. Then we'll get to Doug Branson's broadcast rant coming up about Bally. He hadn't told me yet either, so we're all going to figure this out. We're all going to find out together on what made Doug so frustrated. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you quickly attract qualified candidates to your open jobs with targeting tools. They go beyond resume data by using insights from your job post your company, and their 875 million member profiles to put your post in front of the most qualified candidates. Identify the most qualified candidates on LinkedIn Jobs and connect with them fast and for free. LinkedIn Jobs makes it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all on one platform. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to, and they do it faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash NBA. That's linkedin.com slash NBA to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. What did LaMelo do last night that ranks among the best in NBA history? We'll discuss that next on Lockdown Hornets. This is Locked On Hornets. To start this off, we all know about LeBron and how he built a school and it got a lot of fanfare. By the time 2019 closes, Bismack Biombo is planning to have six. Take that, LeBron. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. So Bismack Biombo may beat LeBron when it comes to philanthropy in the sense that he's opening up schools for more children than LeBron was. So maybe Bismack beat LeBron in that category. LaMelo comes up just a little short in this category against LeBron, but LaMelo did reach his 1,000th career assist last night. He had 12 total, so he had plenty in this game against Memphis, and he's the fourth youngest player ever to reach uh, 1,000 total assists in his career. LeBron is number one. He did that before he turned 21 years old. I forget the other players in front of him that they showed on the graphic last night. I don't know if you remember, Doug, but goes to show you how impressive it is. And this is with a guy that missed games at the end of his rookie season. Remember, that was also a rookie season that was shortened because of the pandemic. So we're talking about a double banger there as far as leaving you short some games your first year. And he was hurt at the beginning of this season and didn't come back for quite a while. So you're doing that also on maybe not as many games, 
as you would have had a couple of those things not gone against you. So, and goes to show you it, the pass last night that, I mean, when, when the Grizzlies are beating you by 30 and yet there is a highlight that national NBA accounts are allowing to circulate on Twitter where he drives baseline and then the one-handed granny pass that was a mm-hmm. laser beam to Jalen McDaniels at the top of the key. And awesome, by the way, the, the one three Jalen hits was off of that pass. So thank goodness he was able to finish that play. <laughs> that, that that pass is stupid. There's yeah. just not too many people in the league. I, I, I don't know how many people, you know, four, five. I don't know how many people can make that pass. Maybe it's one. Maybe, maybe it's him and LeBron. Maybe those are the only two. But man, what, what an excellent pass from LaMelo. Yeah, totally. And you mentioned the missed games uh, that he's had in his first and and third season. So for him to get this uh, milestone, he was drafted young. You know, a lot of guys are being drafted younger and younger. So I'm sure uh, that these categories are going to be filled with guys. But he made the immediate impact. You know, he was drafted young and yet came in and was able to have a major role on this team essentially from the jump. Um, So, yeah, credit credit to what LaMelo has been able to do to make other guys better. And he's not doing it on a team that's been, you know, they they shot well his first two seasons. This season they're not shooting as well. Uh, so you know, luckily he had two seasons of guys shooting well to to help him right. with that stat. Uh, but yeah, good stuff um, from from. I thought again, you know, not a perfect game from Lamelo by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I just don't know how you can like really pile on him on this loss for any of the turnovers or any of the passing issues when there were so many guys missing shots and, and turning the basketball over as well. Well, I mean, it, it's the it's the same star rule that applies here to LaMelo for any team. It is, you know, how much responsibility, how much blame does the one star, you know, get despite being on yeah. a bad team? And that's just not it. You know, you can apply that to a lot of different stars. I don't think LaMelo is any different here. If LaMelo had a better squad, then LaMelo would be playing better. And Doug, I mean, that's why it's so frustrating, right? It's frustrating for us as fans. We, we want to see LaMelo have all the talent circulating around him in the world. How much, how how long do we go before the frustration starts to build up for this team? You know, Steve, Steve Clifford keeps, it, it's almost doing the opposite effect for me, Doug. Like Steve Clifford keeps coming to the podium and saying, hey, we need to understand that, you know, the season's not over, that we can still win these games. And it, and it goes back to that Knicks loss at home where I started to feel a little uneasy, like you're, you're, you're trying awfully hard to keep the message alive and allow this locker room to buy in. It's almost doing the opposite effect to me to comfort me as a fan. So is frustration is frustration already starting to build up to, you know, an overwhelming level. That's going to be interesting to see as we move forward. I mean, LaMelo is, uh, has never been a player that's like extremely communicative with the media. <laughs> I think that's an understatement. Uh, he doesn't. He just doesn't say a lot, uh, and so and and that's you know he doesn't say a lot negative. He doesn't say a lot positive. He just doesn't. He just doesn't say a ton. He doesn't offer a lot of analysis. He doesn't. And I'm not saying this in a negative way. He doesn't take a lot of responsibility for what's happening out there. And I, I'm not saying that he eschews responsibility. Like he, I'm not saying he's a player that comes out and says it's not my fault. He just doesn't really talk about uh, uh, whose fault it is at all. Yeah, there's not um, a lot so, of detail, and yeah, I mean that's just what it comes down to. He's just so if he says anything, if he says anything in that vein over the next couple of weeks, that will be to me a huge red flag. An alarm will go off in my head because he doesn't really talk that extensively about what's going wrong or really, uh, you know, what's going right in much detail. So I think that's something to watch for 
as we continue on, but you're right. Clifford is going out and doing the thing that I would expect any coach to do in this type of situation where you're experiencing injury after injury and you know that the reality of the situation is you don't have the talent level such that uh, you can lose multiple rotation players. That's not on Clifford. That's on the organization, by the way. You know, this organization could be in a position where you could miss a guy like Gordon or you could miss a guy like Kelly for multiple games and be okay. But you can't do that when you only sign Cody Martin in the offseason and then you lose Cody Martin for 37 games. Like, there's an activity level that's necessary to, to maintain success through injuries that teams do. Teams do maintain success through injuries when they have a level of talent sufficient enough to do that. The Hornets do not. And so... All I'm saying is Clifford's trying to do the right thing, uh, but how long before that message finally falls on deaf ears? I think we're going to find out over this next road trip. Well, and, and the reason I think the Hornets are in unique territory when it comes to frustration this season, it's the fact that they are the tanking team that did not come in with tanking expectations. At least the players didn't. You know, this is a team. This is the front office. Go ahead. You had something you want to mention. Well, right but there. I just, I'm, yeah, I didn't want to interrupt you, but I wanted to say yeah. this because <laughs> you, you, you made a good point. They didn't come in with tanking expectations, Walker. But they also didn't come in with winning expectations. My, the big I said this all through the offseason and into the preseason. What are the expectations? Nobody knows. Nobody will put it down on paper. Hey, we need to win this many games. Or we, 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 our expectations are get to the playoffs, not get to the play. And get to the, no one said anything. And I think it was probably smart in retrospect because they had a lot of bad luck with the injuries. And now you're at least you're not on record for, for, for not living up to the expectations that are out. A little, some of this stuff is outside of your control, but nobody set those expectations. So like, fans I don't know what you're supposed to think as a fan other than hey we want Wimby I don't know what you're supposed to think as a player like are you succeeding are you failing who knows because nobody set the expectation well yeah I think I think the players I don't know if they you know Terry Rozier has been one to say it's playoff or bust we we know Miles Bridges did make a shot you know make a yeah make a three-pointer in the second quarter there you go yeah (laughs) I know I know My, my point is the player expectations coming in are different because Orlando couldn't have, you know, kid themselves, right? It's Palabon Caro, number one overall pick, as as much hope as you might have in Orlando to be a play-in team, that, that's about as, as far as they could go, and they have 14 wins. So it's not crazy that they are the third worst team in the Eastern Conference. Detroit, it's yeah. not crazy to believe that they are right there as the worst team in the Eastern Conference. You go to the West you can go to the West Coast, San Antonio, Houston, we knew exactly what it was immediately. As soon right. as the season started, they were going to be in the Wimby stakes and even OKC. This is what they've been doing for 5 years now. The, the Lakers are the first team you can get to either before you're like, "Ooh, that's not supposed to happen." And then Toronto maybe on the East Coast. The Hornets are dead last where you were supposed to have Gordon Terry, you know, even without Miles you you didn't expect this. And so that's why I think a frustration level can reach a little bit lower than it can with some of those other teams where it's not nearly as big of a blindside. Yeah, we'll see. Again, I, I don't think this franchise did a great job of telling yes. fans what to expect. And and so, you know, I think fans are excused for having no idea what's going on out there, for for ignoring some of what's happening this season. And I think it's the organization's responsibility now to take the keys away from Steve Clifford as soon as possible and say, hey, we're shifting focus. 
young guys, development. We're looking forward to the draft. That's on the organization. Steve Clifford's not going to do that. The players aren't going to quit, uh, at least not yet. I think they're going to keep going until they're mathematically eliminated. Um, and so, you know, that's on the organization. But really quickly, I want to get to this yeah. uh, Bally's rant, if you're ready for it. I, I'm ready. I'm excited. Um, I'm a little scared. I don't know what's about to come because we did not talk about this pre-show. I just know you have a rant, so share. All right, so let me give you a little background about how I've come to this point where I have to get on the air and rant about this. So I am here in, in Nashville, Tennessee, so when they play the Grizzlies, I have to watch on the Bally Sports app uh, because the Grizzlies games are blacked out on League Pass. So I'm watching the Grizzlies game, and there's a play, and I didn't mention it when we talked about Mark Williams, but there was a play where Mark made a, a big transition mistake and it led to a bucket. And, and, pretty, and a key part of the second quarter when they really needed to try to get back into the game, and, and it was a big transition bucket. And, and I wanted to link it in everyhornetsboxscore.com to say, hey, you know, Mark, get back on defense. This is a point of education. And uh, I couldn't because I went to NBA.com, who used the Bally's Hornets broadcast for the play-by-play video. And instead of getting that transition mistake, uh, because it was off a P- it was off a PJ Washington make, and then John Moran attacked early and and threw it almost half court uh, to to push the pace. Instead, I was on a close up of PJ. There was no video of uh, I believe it was a Bane layup. Uh, there was no video of it because they were cutting close and they don't cut back out wide. When the ball is inbounded, when there's a live ball, you should cut back. I don't care how quickly you cut. you got to cut back wide when the ball is live. This has happened so many times this season off a, off a Hornets make, off an opposing team make, where they're, they're stuck on a close shot and they don't cut back out wide. Let me see the game. I complained about this a few times last season, but this season, it almost happens once a game. I just want to see the basketball game. Please cut back wide when the ball is live. I've missed whole uh, sideline out-of-bounds plays. We've missed entire sidelines out-of-bounds possessions. Have no idea what happened because the cameras weren't cut out wide. you got to cut wide. This is This is getting ridiculous. Yeah, I'm sure the fans want to watch the game too, but that is absolutely a blogger complaint. That is a podcaster complaint to its finest, a NBA Twitter account complaint, but heard nonetheless. No, because when I listen, when I tweet about when I tweeted about this Walker, people have liked it. I'm telling you, the fans they're, they're like okay they because look no, I believe, the no, hard I look, the hardcore <laughs> among us we're sticking with it. We're watching mm-hmm. like at least let me see. At least look if it's gonna be this bad, at least let me watch it. <laughs> that, that is that's a uh, that's creepy that is i want the pain please i, hurt I mean me. come on Doug let me is, see Doug it don't try to hide him. it from me give me the full reality of what's going on i just can't look the game and and this is kind of an issue i think more recently because the game has gotten faster every single season and you saw it off makes more teams are inbounding quickly. It's why we have these delay of game violations because you want the game to be quicker. The NBA wants the game to be quicker because it's more exciting and teams are attacking quick off the inbounds. You've got to cut out wide quicker, even if it looks weird, you know, because I know like from a TV perspective, like you don't want to cut too fast. It confuses people. But, but at the same time, You've got to get back out wide when the ball is inbound. It's crazy to me. 
All right. Thanks for making Lockdown Hornets your first listen today. Now make your second listen game to game NBA. Every moment, every top performance, every result. Lockdown Game to Game covers every game from across the NBA with local analysis that only Lockdown can deliver. Follow Game to Game on Lockdown NBA, available on the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcast. Have a great rest of your day. We'll be back with you tomorrow. Let me see the game. 